Good morning, Redeemer family. It's a privilege to be with you as we continue our series in 2 Samuel. And today, look at a few chapters, uh, chapters 14 through 18. Now, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. It says, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to their faithful creator while continuing to do good. And this verse is a wonderful reminder of uh, the freedom you have to serve God with a clear conscience. When you are seeking to do God's will, when you have a clear conscience, there's a great freedom that even if you face opposition, even if you face persecution, you can trust God. You can continue to do good, uh, knowing you're seeking his will, uh, knowing you have a clear conscience. Yet today's passage will speak to a slightly different situation. What about when you don't have a clear conscience? Uh, What about when you know you haven't sought God's will? Uh, Hopefully you've repented of your sin. You've gone to God and asked for forgiveness. uh, And God assures you of his forgiveness. Uh, Yet now you, you might be experiencing something in your life that you feel are the consequences of your past sin. God promises you that when you bring your sin to him, he will take it as far away as the east is from the west. God promises that your sin is forgiven, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you may know that and believe that, but still feel that your past sin uh, leaves a shadow. A shadow uh, which may last weeks, months or even the rest of your life. Uh, consequences uh, of your sin uh, that will continue to to shape your life, even bring pain and and suffering. How do we trust God when we haven't been faithful? How do we trust God when we've sinned? Uh, We know his forgiveness, uh, yet we sense we're experiencing the consequences, the fallout of our past sin. Well, today's passage is going to help us with that. Uh, Today's passage is going to give us hope. In today's passage, uh, we'll see the fallout of David's sin. In chapter 11, King David had uh, committed adultery and murder. In chapter 12, uh, he was brought to repentance and he received forgiveness. Yet he was also told that there would be remaining consequences in his earthly life. So though he knew the Lord's forgiveness, restoration, eternal hope, he was told there would be consequences for the rest of his life. That began to unfold in the the awful events of chapter 13 that we heard about last week. And today we'll continue to see through all of these chapters, uh, God's word of discipline, God's word of consequences being played out. Yet even through this, we will see that God remains David's God. Uh, God remains a faithful God. And in a, uh, a passage in a section that, that looks like a spy movie, uh, there are so many faithful and unfaithful friends. You're not sure who David can and can't trust. And in a section that feels like a spy movie, I uh, will see that through it all, uh, the Lord remains faithful. Uh, even to David, who uh, had been unfaithful. Uh, So today we'll hear about faithless friends, uh, the consequences of faithlessness and our faithful God. 
Firstly, we'll hear about the unfaithful friends. David's family, advisors and nation are faithless toward him and toward the the God uh, who had made him king. Yet surprising people will prove faithful. Uh, Chapter 14 begins with David on the throne, his daughter Tamar now broken, uh, his son Amnon killed in vengeance for what he'd done to Tamar, uh, and his other son Absalom in exile after having killed Amnon in revenge. And chapter 14 begins with Joab, the commander of David's army, uh, trying to manipulate David to bring Absalom back out of exile. And we're not sure, actually, if this is a good thing or a bad thing. We don't know about Joab's intentions here, but we do see Joab trying to manipulate David uh, using an emotional story uh, to uh, bring his son Absalom back. And it works. It reminds us of chapter 12, where God used a story through the prophet Nathan to convict David of sin. Yet this isn't from God bringing uh, genuine repentance. Uh, This is one of David's closest advisors uh, manipulating him through an emotional story. And it brings Absalom back uh, out of exile to living near David in the city. But already we sense that things might not be right. In verse 25 of chapter 14, we're told that in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. It speaks about his hair and how wonderful it was. Uh, But this reminds us of King Saul, uh, the the one who was impressive in the eyes of man, uh, yet proved to be an unfaithful king. And it's in the beginning of chapter 15 that Absalom makes his move uh, to steal the kingdom from his father. In 15 verse 1, we're told Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And he would stay by the gate of the city. Whenever anyone came to bring a case before the king, he would intercept them. And he would do sort of what politicians do really well. He would speak smooth talk. He would convince them that actually he would give a better decision, that he would look out for their interests. And we're told in 15 verse 6 that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom, uh, he was impressive. He knew how to work the room. He knew how to make people feel heard. And he stole Israel's hearts. We're told in 15 verse 12, this conspiracy grew strong and the people of Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, yes, he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So here David's own son staged a coup. Uh, he stole the kingship and the kingdom from his father. Now, this is a terrible betrayal of a son against his father, and that hurts. Yet it's deeper than that. Uh, We see that Absalom is stealing the kingdom from God's chosen king. Uh, Throughout 1 Samuel, uh, David provided the the opposite example. Uh, He'd been promised that he would be king, uh, yet he refused to lift his hand against God's anointed. He trusted God's timing. And if God had put a king in place, 
that it was not his place to challenge. Yet here, Absalom has no such hesitation. He steals the kingdom from his father. He gladly lifts his hand against the Lord's anointed. We see uh, this first uh, betrayal, this unfaithfulness of David's son and the whole nation that goes after him and abandons God's chosen king. There are other examples of unfaithfulness in this text. Uh, We have the servant Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth come uh, in uh, chapter 16. Now, you might remember the Mephibosheth story. It was a beautiful story how David brought uh, the son of his enemy, the previous king, and he made him as one of his own sons. He showed him incredible love, grace and mercy. But now when Ziba comes, he comes bearing gifts for the king, uh, but he comes bearing bad news. He says that Mephibosheth, uh, he's actually taken Absalom's side. And Mephibosheth has betrayed you. He thinks this is the opportunity for the kingdom to be returned to his family. And David believes Ziba. Uh, David, you can imagine, would be hurt. He'd brought Mephibosheth in as one of his own sons. He says, oh, I'm going to take everything I gave to Mephibosheth. And now I'm transferring it to you, Ziba, his servant. Now, there's obvious hurt here, uh, but we'll see in a coming chapter that all isn't as it seems. Um, Mephibosheth had remained loyal to David, and this was Ziba actually lying uh, and proving to be unfaithful, trying to steal uh, what came from Mephibosheth. Uh, We see it in one of David's closest advisors, uh, Hiphathel. Uh, Ahithophel. Uh, while David was, well, Absalom was offering the sacrifices, we're told, he sent for Ahithophel the Gileonite, David's counselor from the city of Gilo. So in 15 verse 12, we're reminded that actually one of David's closest advisors and counselors, he was called by Absalom. In 15 verse 31, it was told to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And this must have hurt one of David's closest advisors proving to be unfaithful. He's switched sides. He's among the conspirators with Absalom. And when Absalom enters Jerusalem to take it uh, as his own from his father uh, in chapter uh, in verse 15, uh, we're told that Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem with Ahithophel with him. Ahithophel gave counsel, he gave advice, and when Absalom takes Jerusalem, he gives some some awful advice. Uh, Absalom, in chapter 16, verse 20, said to Ahithophel, give your counsel, what shall we do? And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he's left to keep the house, to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you've made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now this is abhorrent. Uh, these women are used and abused as uh, a method of political manipulation. Uh, Absalom is making a political statement. Uh, by showing the, the, the whole nation uh, out in public that, well, now the kingdom and the king and his concubines, they belong to him. And this is an awful atrocity against these women. Yet it also would have hurt David that this plan didn't even come from Absalom. It came from his close advisor 
who'd given him many, many great plans. Ahithophel proved to be unfaithful. And we're told in verse 23 of chapter 16, in those days the counsel Ahithophel gave was, if, gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. David had lost a close advisor, but he'd lost one of his greatest weapons, the wisdom, the advice of this guy. Uh, it seemed to just always be right. But amidst all of this unfaithfulness, we see mercies of God's grace. There are some faithful ones. In chapter 15, we meet Ittai the Gittite. And though he's a foreigner, he has no reason to stay by this kingdom, this king who has been defeated and overthrown. Yet Ittai the Gittite in 15 uh, verse 21 says, As the Lord lives, as my Lord the king lives, whether the Lord, wherever the Lord my king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. Uh, we see faithfulness in Hushai, uh, a faithful friend to David. We meet him in chapter 15, verse uh, 37. He's called Hushai, David's friend. And David sends his friend Hushai uh, as a spy. He sends him to Absalom to pretend that he has taken Absalom's side uh, to give advice, uh, to give rival advice to Ahithophel. And we see that play out in chapter 16 and 17. Uh, 16.1, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men. I will arise and pursue David tonight. And in verse four, this advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. But then in verse five, Absalom said, call Hushai the archite also. Let us hear what he has to say. So now there's an alternate person giving wisdom, giving counsel to Absalom. And in verse 7, Hushai said to Absalom, this time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. And Hushai gave his own plan for how uh, Absalom could supposedly uh, defeat David. And in verse 14, Absalom and all the men of, men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. And so uh, David's plan had worked. His faithful friend had infiltrated Absalom's camp. He'd given him bad advice. And in verse 15, uh, he sends word telling David the exact plan uh, that Absalom uh, is going to take uh, so that David will be protected. We meet other faithful friends uh, throughout these, these passages. Uh, in chapter 17, verse 27 and 29, uh, there are other men who come out and provide for David's troops. And it's through these faithful ones, through these various friends that God gives David, that his kingdom is restored. In chapter 18, uh, the tide turns. Though David's kingdom has been stolen, in chapter 18, it's going to be won back. And it happened through some of these faithful friends. In chapter 18, verse 2, David sent out an army, a third under the command of Joab, a third under Abishai, a third under this foreigner, Ittai the Gittite. And the king said to the men, I myself will go out with you. Let's go and fight this battle. But these men said, no, you shall not go out. For if we flee, they'll not care about us. If half of us die, they'll not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. These friends are faithful. They're caring for David. They say, we want to keep you safe. You don't, don't fight alongside us because then you'll be in danger. 
And God uses these faithful men to win back the kingdom. Uh, The king orders Joab and Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And we're told all the people heard when the king gave the orders to the commanders about Absalom. They're going to take back the kingdom. Yet David said, be be gentle with my son, spare him if you can. Uh, And while there seem to be great plans of men here, uh, it's quite strange how the victory is won. We're told in 18 verse 9 that Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule. The mule went under the thick branches of a great oak and his head got caught fast in the oak and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him went on. So the same hair that had made Absalom so attractive, it got him caught in a tree. He was left hanging there. Strangely, uh, David's commanders, they now had this option. They could easily take Absalom prisoner. Yet Joab sees the opportunity and he he kills Absalom. Uh, throughout this, we, we see unfaithfulness, faithfulness. It, it has been like a spy movie, not knowing who you can trust, shifting allegiances, uh, people who should have been faithful to David and to his God proving unfaithful. Now, this would have hurt Uh, Friends uh, betraying friends, son betraying father, advisor betraying uh, their their king, a nation abandoning God's king. This would have hurt. Uh, But through all of this, there would have been an extra pain for David, knowing that all of this, all of this mess, all of this intrigue, it was the consequence of his own unfaithfulness. This rebellion is a God-ordained consequence of David's sin. Back when David sinned and was brought to repentance in chapter 12, uh, God said this to him, 2 Samuel 12, verse 9, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. These chapters show this this sword does not depart David's house. It's divided. Verse 11, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And his own son did this. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he will lie with your wives in the sight of the son. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, He tells them that there will be consequences. So though David knew the Lord's forgiveness, though David said, you are forgiven, uh, you shall not die. uh, David was told there would be consequences for his sin. And we see it played out in these terrible chapters. See it played out in very particular ways in the the awful objectification of, of David's concubines there on the roof in Jerusalem. Uh, Throughout uh, these passages, we see that uh, David knew that uh, he was experiencing the consequences, the effects of his own sin, even sin that the Lord had already forgiven. 
This is reflected in chapter 16 as uh, David meets Shimei. Uh, Shimei, we're told as David uh, leaves Jerusalem, is cursing David, throwing rocks at David and his friends. Uh, And Shimei said as he cursed in chapter 16, verse 7, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you've reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Now, as uh, he there, he, he curses David, uh, we, we, we feel for David. Yet we also see that Shimei has a point. Uh, some of this, these events, they are from the Lord. David is a man of blood. Uh, some things are coming back on him. And, and this, this truth, it seemed to drive David. When others said, should we put to death this person cursing you? David said, no, no, I think he's got a point. Uh, But David trusts the Lord in it. Knowing that David was experiencing the consequences of his sin, it must have have led to great sadness, a great temptation to regret. But as well as the sadness, uh, it it would have led to guilt. Uh, We see this as David grieves uh, the death of his son Absalom. Uh, When he hears of Absalom's death, we're told the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David had just won a victory. His kingship was being restored, yet he grieved. And this is right because even a rebellious son is a son and David is right to grieve his own son. Yet I think there's something deeper here that David realizes that it was his own sin that had brought all of this and even led to his son's death. When he said, would that I have died instead of you, Absalom, he might be remembering the Lord's words to him, saying, your sin is forgiven, you shall not die. However, there'll be consequences and the sword will not depart from your house. David realizes that his own sin Even sin, which has now been forgiven by the Lord, it has consequences that are playing out in terrible and painful ways. And David might have felt abandoned by God. Sometimes those who are suffering for what seems like no reason, well, they can feel abandoned by God. Why would God let this happen? How could he let this happen if he really loves me? Uh, How would God let this happen if he were really on my side? But like David, there can be an extra level of pain when our conscience isn't clear, when we think our guilt is involved, when you know that you've done the wrong thing, you've sinned against the Lord God and you're experiencing the consequences. You might wonder, has God given up on me? Has my sin exhausted God's patience? Has my sin turned God from being my friend to my enemy? This can stop us from crying out to God sometimes. If I got into this trouble by disobeying God, can I really cry out to him to help me through it? If I'm experiencing the Lord's discipline, can I really trust him to be with me through it? Well, the answer of this passage is a resounding yes. Even though you may experience the Lord's discipline, you can be assured of his love if you are in Christ. 
Even as David experienced the consequences of his sin, even as he experienced consequences from the hand of the Lord, he knew that he could trust the heart of his Lord. David said to Abishai and all of his servants, uh, as they kind of wonder, should we put this Shimei to death for cursing you? Uh, David said, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for this cursing today. David trusts that even though he may be experiencing consequences, discipline from the Lord's hand, that he can trust the Lord's love, the Lord's faithfulness towards him. And he says, well, I trust what the Lord will do. So in all of this, we can see that uh, though David is suffering because of his own unfaithfulness, his own past unfaithfulness, he still has a faithful God who is with him. Amidst the faithlessness of those closest to him and David's own unfaithfulness, God remains faithful and David can cling to him. Uh, we see this in chapter 15. As David flees Jerusalem, will the priests go with the Ark of the Covenant? But David actually sends the priests and the Ark back. He tells them in chapter 15, verse 24, carry the Ark of the God back to the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he'll bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. Even as David was being driven out of the city, uh, betrayed, hurt by his son and uh, his nation, uh, David trusted, said, no, send send the ark back. If God wants me back there, then I'll be back in Jerusalem in not too long. He trusted that his God was still in control, that his God would do what is right. In 15 verse 30, after he's been driven out of Jerusalem, we're told David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who are with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went. And right then it was told of David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And so David turns to his God in prayer. David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. David knew that even though he was experiencing the consequences of his sin, the fallout of his sin, that because he'd been forgiven, he could cry out to his God and his God would hear him. In chapter 16, again, as Shimei was was there cursing David, Uh, David trusted in verse 12 that it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. David, amidst all of this, he trusts his God. He can call out to his God. He knows that his God will never leave him or forsake him. Even if he's experiencing suffering or even consequences for his own sin. And God answers these cries. We see God working quietly behind the scenes of this spy drama, actually working out his purposes, protecting David and keeping his promise uh, to retain David's throne. In chapter 17, in the midst of that that wisdom debate uh, between Ahithophel and Hushai, 
Uh, we're told in 1714, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord has ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. It wasn't the superior wisdom of Hushai that got his wisdom heard. It was the Lord uh, making sure that actually Absalom would be defeated. David would be restored. And even Absalom's final defeat, we're told Absalom happened to meet the servants of David in chapter 18, verse 9. We know that nothing happens randomly. He didn't just happen to meet the servants of David. This was the Lord's hand restoring his kingdom, protecting his servant. And those who at the end of chapter 18 uh, come and bring the news to David of this victory, uh, they both tell us clearly what has been going on. In verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 28, uh, Ahimaaz cries out to the king, all is well. He says, blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my Lord the king. Uh, and then a couple of verses later, there's another messenger, a Cushite. And the Cushite says, good news for my Lord, the king. The Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. Here we see that while David was experiencing the the consequences of his sin, if consequences even from the hand of the Lord, that the Lord remained his God. The Lord remained faithful. The Lord was keeping his promises. In fact, some of the Psalms, the beautiful songs of faith, uh, they were written during this time uh, when David was on the run from Absalom. Uh, Listen to the words of Psalm 3, the beautiful words of Psalm 3. Remembering that as David uh, wrote them, well, he knew that he was experiencing the discipline of the Lord, that he was experiencing the fallout, the consequences of sin. Psalm 3 verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. They're saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O God, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Our God is with his people. Even as they suffer the, the remaining earthly consequences of forgiven sin. And this may cut close to the heart for some of you. You may be experiencing trouble in your life, which you know or suspect is connected to your past sin or failure. It could be health consequences related to how you have failed to care for your body. It may be broken relationships where you know that what you did or what you failed to do has contributed. It may be a ministry position that you're no longer qualified for because of your own sin. And even though you've repented and you know forgiveness, uh, you desire to serve God's people again, you know that actually that's not possible in that same way. It may be shame that you carry because of past sin, shame in your own heart, shame before others. And while the results of our sin can be direct or kind of natural consequences like this, we may sense that we're uh, experiencing the Lord's discipline in a different way. 
that we're somehow afflicted because of our sin. Now, Jesus tells us to be very, very careful uh, as we try to think about this. Suffering is often not linked to any sin. Uh, We can be walking uprightly and suffer just because we're a part of God's broken world. So while we should be careful, uh, God can work in different ways to discipline us. And you may sense that that's the case. But if you are suffering the consequences or even the Lord's discipline for your own sin, well, take heart. If you have asked the Lord for forgiveness, if you've known his forgiveness, well, know that he is with you. You may experience the Lord's fatherly displeasure, yet there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've repented of your sin, brought them to him, then your relationship with God is restored. He has taken your sin as far away as the east is from the west. Yet sometimes he won't also take away the consequences, the earthly consequences of that sin. He'll leave you there to teach you, to shape you. And as he does that, he will be with you and walk with you. This is fatherly displeasure. Uh, even when there is no wrath, when there is no condemnation. Hebrews 6 tells us the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. And he does this to bring a fruit, peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You may have fallen, you may have sinned. If you know God's forgiveness, And even if the shadow of that sin casts itself over the rest of your life, you can know that your God is with you. You may experience his fatherly displeasure, his loving displeasure, his loving discipline to shape you and help you and change you. Yet there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are his child. He is your God. And we can be sure of that because we have a greater David. Uh, We're told we have a greater David. David was the greater David who was rejected and betrayed by those closest to him, whose own people rejected him as God's king. As David was a man of sorrows, rejected and scorned, so Jesus was the man of sorrows. Jesus was the greater David who went weeping up the Mount of Olives, just like David did. Yet where David was carrying the consequences of his own sin... Jesus was carrying the consequences of our sin. Jesus is the greater David who didn't pray against his enemies, but prayed for his enemies. Jesus is the greater David who is worth more than a thousand or a million of us. Uh, Yet he didn't stay behind to keep safe. He came in into our danger, into the brokenness of our world. He subjected himself to death in our place. We have a greater David who doesn't just wish that he could die in the place of his son. We have Jesus who died for us, his enemies, so that we could be made his friends and his family. We have a greater David, uh, the man of sorrows, uh, the one who carried not his own sin, but ours, so that we could be sure that our sin can be taken away. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Uh, We may experience the shadow of consequences, yet we know that God remains our God. Our God is with us. 
So let's pray. Father, uh, we do thank you uh, that you are with us. You, O Lord, are a shield about us, our glory, the lifter of our heads. Father, we cry aloud to you and you answer us from your holy hill. Father, salvation belongs to you, Lord. Blessing be on your people. Lord, we pray that those who are broken, uh, those who are feeling the consequences, the shadow of shame or consequences, we pray that they would know your consoling fellowship. They would know your presence. They would know your forgiveness. And they would know that you are present with them, even in the valley. Uh, please help us to walk uprightly. Help us to be aware of the consequences of sin, the fallout that can, can plague just the rest of our lives. Yet help us to be assured of your promises, your truth, uh, the righteousness you give and the hope you give in Christ. It's in his good and powerful name that we pray. Amen.